Today I want to talk about something that's, I guess, almost one of the things I would say is one of my life's messages, really. And it's a message about our part in seeing prophetic purpose or our part in seeing transformation happen. We know there's huge things that God does. There's, there's things like impartation, encounters with God, breakthrough moments, revelation moments, things that God does. And there's also our part in how we co-labour with God. So today, as it were, we're going to be looking at the co-labouring part of, of working out and walk, walking into what God has for us. How many of you notice that the prophetic word or the promises of the Bible often produce in us a kind of tension between where we are right now and where God is taking us? So there can be the tension between God saying, um, I want to give you peace that transcends all understanding, and there can be the tension between a peace that goes beyond our understanding and the fact that right now I'm wrestling with anxiety. Or God can say, um, I, want, I want to do something particular in the community, and there can be the tension between where we are right now and where we're going. And the prophetic always produces that tension because it's always bigger than, than what we could do for God. That we know when God's speaking because it's something that we could never do without God. It produces that tension. So I'm going to look at a story from 2 Kings chapter 6 in a moment or two. But I want to tell a, 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 a story from the Vietnam War before um, we go into the Bible. And it's a, it's a story about a man called Lieutenant Stockdale. And Lieutenant Stockdale was, um, he was taken as a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War and taken as a prisoner of war in Hanoi. And he was kept there for eight years. During the eight years, he was um, tortured um, 20 times. Um, the other prisoners were forbidden to speak to one another, um, <coughs> otherwise they would be tortured. And they created a tapping code between them so that they could communicate with, with one another. I'm just trying to find the notes around this. I want to quote you something from him. And so Lieutenant Stockdale was in this situation of dire, dire, dire conditions. And the trouble our printer is printing in a whole host of different kinds of ways at the moment. So if I'm going to look on my phone to find that quote, because it's just worth reading. <laughs> It's worth the wait. <laughs> so, he's in prison. He's, he's, there, he's there for eight years, okay? And he says this is his mindset while he was in this situation. He said, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. So he's, he's, he's in Hanoi prison, a prisoner of war, eight years, tortured 20 times, and he says, I never doubted, not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into de the defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Notice this, he's not even talking about the God who works all things together for good. He's not even talking about um, the fact that he is the God of all hope and I can overflow with joy and peace in believing. He's just a man in dire situations under incredible tension and difficulty and trauma who decides 
this is going to work out, I'm getting out, I don't know when, I don't know how, it's going to change. And then he said there were those who, in that same situation, were just the optimists. They were the people who stuck their head in the sand and said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they would say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then they would say, we're going to be out by Thanksgiving. Then it was Christmas again and they died of a broken heart. No, literally they died. Physically they died. Hopelessness killed them. So people have developed then the Stockdale paradox or the the confusing thing that says (coughs) to have right optimism in circumstances yet willing to face the brutal facts is how you survive and how you overcome and how you prevail and how you live in the tension between who I am today and what my circumstances are today and the prophetic promise of where I'm going. So what I want to talk about this morning is how we live in the tension between today and tomorrow, how we live in the tension between who I am today and what God has called me to do and be, how I live with situations and circumstances today that contradict where I'm going and how I do that in a way that leads me towards it. What is my part in it? And I want to do it from an account from 2 Kings chapter 6. And in movies, and like Josh, I absolutely love films, in movies, it starts by setting the scene. 2 Kings chapter 6 sets the scene like this. The Syrians have so besieged Samaria with their army that no food is getting into this city. The enemy is all around the city, no food is getting in. It's impossible for any food to get in and people are absolutely starving. Then in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 24, so it says this, Afterwards Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered the entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels. So it's so desperate, the, the situation, the situation and the circumstances that they're in, right in that moment, that it says a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels, which is about the equivalent of nine months' wages. Okay, so that's the equivalent of a donkey's head going for an average wages in London of of around, say, £22,000. That's what people were willing to pay for a donkey's head. And then it says, um, and a fourth part of cab of dove's dung, for the shekel, for, for, for five shekels of silver. And do, dove's dung actually doesn't mean dove's dung, it's actually maybe a type of food, but it's not particularly, it doesn't sound particularly pleasant, <coughs> does it? And it sounds rather expensive. And uh, um, So there's such a desperate situation, a donkey's head is being sold for food, and they're eating this rubbish food, and they're paying a lot for it. And then it gets even worse, and it, it cuts now to another scene where these two mothers make a deal and they say, hey, today we'll eat my boy but tomorrow we'll eat your boy. They're that das- desperate into this siege. So day one, they, 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 they eat the one boy. Day two, the other mum changes her mind 
and says, you're not having my boy. So she goes to the king and says, I thought we had a deal. Day one, we ate my boy. It's day two now, and she's saying she's not going to let me, let us eat her boy. And the king is absolutely desperate. Rips his clothes. People see that he's in mourning for the situation. And he says, go and get Elisha. He's blaming the prophet. Go and tell Elisha, it's your fault. God's against us. So the king sends one of his captains to go to Elisha. And Elisha says this. And now this is where the tension comes in. Elisha says, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow, about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. What he's saying is, today... Okay, a donkey's head is being sold for nine months' worth of wages. But tomorrow, God is going to move in such a (coughs) radical, providing way that the best food will be available at the city gates and it will be so abundant, the price of food is going to go right down and everybody will be able to buy it for almost nothing. Then the captain, the one the king had sent to Elisha, said, "Um, if the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven... Um, if, if the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven could this thing be but he said then Elisha said but you shall see it with your own eyes but you shall not eat it in other words he's saying this is not possible you don't go from today nothing to tomorrow abundance even if God started to rain down food it's impossible it produced tension in him he said I'm bound by logical reason." If I don't know how it's possible, then I can't see it happening. And God loves to puzzle us with the things he says about us. He loves to say something about our lives that completely puzzles us, where we think, this is my situation today, this is what you're promising me to tomorrow, this is my personality, and you're saying this is what a kingdom personality can be. I'm completely puzzled and perplexed. It seems impossible. Today, a donkey's head is being sold for a whole year's wages or almost, and tomorrow you're saying abundant food. It's not possible. Because God wants to develop a trust beyond what we can understand. He wants to establish a healthy relationship with the unknown. And what I want to talk about is this, is then what do we do in the process? So God wants us to be in a place of rest and peace, living with the tension of today and tomorrow, and yet knowing there are steps that we can take and things that we can do to co-labour with God and partner with God. Because then the story in Two Kings, it shifts to four lepers. Okay, so the the movie starts, famine, big promise, captain who's puzzled, can't see how it can happen, then it cuts to four men who are suffering with leprosy. Who don't know about the prophetic promise. Who don't know about what God's about to do. And these four lepers outside the city are, are standing there and they're reasoning. They're coming, they're looking at the harsh, brutal facts of their situation. They're doing what Stockdale Paradox would say do. They're not saying, we're just going to bury our head in the sand and be optimistic and think, 
things are going to change, something's going to happen. We're going to look at the brutal facts and say this. If we just sit outside the city gates and just wait, we're going to die. Face the brutal facts. If we go back in the city, well, there's no food there because we all know at the moment they're paying nearly a year's wages to eat a donkey's head. We're going to die there in any way. We're lepers. They don't want us in the city. They've pushed us out of the city. Then they come to the most incredible decision. What if we do something we've never done? What if we do something that's utterly unthinkable? What if we go across to the Samaritans, or not the Samaritans, the Syrians, who are the, the army against them, and what if we go there? They might feed us. They might give us something to eat. They were desperate enough to ask, is there another mindset? Is there another way of looking at this? Is there another solution? We're not scared of looking at the brutal facts. If we stay, we'll die. If we go back, we'll die. Maybe if we do something we've never thought of doing and making a decision that looks absolutely out of the box and crazy, maybe, just maybe, they'll feed us. So growth happens like this. Growth happens like this. You think, God promises perfect peace beyond understanding. My current situation is I'm riddled with worry and anxiety and fear. Is there a mindset I can take today that feels completely crazy that's going to take me towards tomorrow? God has promised outflow to the community. God has promised to reach people groups. God has promised us to percolate out. Is there another mindset that we can take a decision to move towards tomorrow? Is there something that we've never ever thought of, never ever done, never ever dared believe is possible? <coughs> Growth happens in the moment of I'm going to change the way I think and I'm going to have another thought. Someone once said, if, if you do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. <laughs> And that's what the lepers are coming to the conclusion of. We've starved, we're dying, we're going to die. Is there another thought? Is there something we need to do that we've never done before? And they don't even know about the prophetic word. They don't even know that God has promised that this time tomorrow everything's changing. They're just a bunch of people coming to a logical conclusion faced by the brutal facts we're not going to do what we've always done. We're going to have another thought. We're going to do something different. The definition of madness, according to Einstein, is, is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. That's the definition of madness. To just keep doing the same thing and expect it to be different. That's what they're saying. If we stay here and do the same thing, we're going to die. There's another mindset. There's another way of looking at things. There's another thought process. So growth happens when we're willing to face the brutal facts. When I'm willing to look at the fact, why am I somebody who is not walking in peace? Why am I somebody 
who is riddled with unbelief and anxiety? Why am I full of worry? Is there something else that I can do? Is there something else that I can step into? Is there another thought that I can have? To use Galatians 6, to change the harvest, you have to change the seed. If you plant the same seed again and again and again, and whatever it is, you're going to get the same harvest. And that's what the lepers are saying. If we just keep planting the same seed of passivity and waiting, then really what we're going to reap is the harvest and we're going to starve. The challenge is that every new thought doesn't feel comfortable at first. It does not feel comfortable for the four lepers to say, we're going over to the camp of the enemy to see if they'll feed us. It's not comfortable, and and, and I would say illogical, really, because the reason they're outside the city is because they're lepers. Generally, people did not want people with a contagious, debilitating skin disease coming in amongst their community. The thought that, that maybe they would get fed was outlandish and crazy, but it was a risk they were willing to take because they faced the brutal fact that if we stay, we're going to die. I'm doing something different. I'm having another thought. I'm changing the seed to change the harvest. I'm not going to live this way any longer. There's a brutal reality I'm facing, and it's changing, and it's changing right now. So I would say some of the reason why we find maybe ourselves stuck in a mindset is because we never really feel quite desperate enough to make the radical desperate choice to change the thought. So sometimes we go from um, using anxiety as one, I'm riddled with anxiety, I'm riddled with anxiety, I'm riddled with anxiety, I feel a peaceful moment, I go back to being riddled with anxiety, rather than to face the brutal truth is I'm an anxious person who doesn't believe God and needs to trust God. I need to do something I've never done before which is categorically, absolutely, 100% trust him and abandon myself completely to him. That's to change the seed, to change the harvest. That's having another thought. But it doesn't feel comfortable at first. It feels like death and it feels challenging and it feels difficult. In fact, so often, the moments of changing your mind and repentance feel so uncomfortable, that's why we can find ourselves going on for a decade, going around in a loop and a circle, going round and round and round again, because we never really liked the discomfort of what repentance really meant, or what changing our mind really meant. Because it feels so hard to go out on a limb and say, you know what, I refuse to worry about my finance. I choose to trust. I refuse to fear where my life is going. I'm believing he works it all together for good. I refuse to give in to this or give in to that thought and I choose to believe. At first that is so uncomfortable and it feels awkward and it feels unnatural and it almost feels dangerous. So... When you get saved, you come out of being an orphan where you used to provide for yourself, protect yourself, look after yourself spiritually, economically, in every way. And then you come into a kingdom where a father says, I'm going to handle all that for you. But you don't just come in and the orphan attitude just drops off. You come in, I'm an orphan. I look after myself. I provide for myself. I self-protect. I self-provide. I make things happen for myself. And it feels scary, awkward, and dangerous to then say, I'm going to trust. And sometimes we get stuck 
where we are because it's so painful sometimes to genuinely repent and genuinely change our mind over and over again. And we prefer the safety of thinking how we've always thought. So spiritual growth doesn't initially produce comfort. It feels good afterwards, but very often not very nice during. And so we want the idea of a God who takes us from today into a tomorrow by magic. That's what we really want. We want a God who says, here's the prophetic tension, here's the challenge of who you are right now, your personality, your your gifting and what you are right now. Here's the prophetic word corporately upon you as a body. And then we can stand and say, now do your magic, mighty magician, and zap me into the promised land and bring me into the promise. That's honestly what we want. And when I realised he wouldn't do that, I was angry and frustrated, not for a day or a week, for years. Because <laughs> there's got to be some magic, God. And you know, there are moments of encounter. There are moments of impartation. There are moments of revelation. There are moments being prayed for by people and, and you get something. There are those magic moments. But character doesn't come like that. (laughs) Because whatever I found with God, when it's an encounter that led to new freedom, there was still a process of working it out through the decision. and And then it was another moment of, wow, and will you now dare to believe and trust and go to a new level? And then we got another breakthrough. It's always that process. So the lepers are willing to say, wow, if I don't change... If we don't change and have another thought and do another thing, we're going to die. We're going to die. And I would say that in whatever area you think, I need breakthrough here, I need change here, I need to see something happen here and here and here in my life. How desperate really are you? Because sometimes what we want is just enough to get through another day when God has called us to change the whole world. So growth occurs when we face the discomfort. But the new thought, the new thought is just the beginning. So it says in the Bible, it says, why are we sitting here until we die in chapter 7? If we say, let us go into the city, the famine is in the city. If we shall die here, and if we just sit here, we'll also die. So come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians If they spare our lives, we'll live. And if they kill us, we'll but die. In other words, (laughs) whatever happens, we're going to die. Better take a risk. So So they arose at twilight to go over to the camp of the Syrians. So it starts with a new thought. It starts with a new thought. I love this quote. Today, I must watch my thoughts, for they become my words. I must watch over my words because they become my actions. I watch my actions because they become my habits. I watch my habits because they become my character. I watch over my character because it becomes my destiny. So they have a, they have a thought, then it becomes a word. We are going <coughs> over to the camp of the Syrians. It becomes a word, then it becomes an action. But at the beginning it was just a thought and it was just facing the brutal facts. Then it becomes an action and they get up and go. That new thought is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. That new thought is just the beginning. I will not 
live with this mindset. I will not live with that habit. I will not live with that attitude to money. I will not fear the future. I I will not self-protect. I will not choose anxiety. I will believe for outflow, for kingdom impact, for men and women to be saved. I will believe that we are the head, not the tail. I will believe that wherever we go, we bring the kingdom. I will believe that the sick will be healed when I lay hands on them. I will believe. Then it becomes a word. I'm doing it. It's happening. I'm declaring it. Then it must become an action. Then it must become an action. For the lepers, it wasn't just a brutal fact, new thought, nice word, stay where we are. It then had to lead and become something tangible, something physical, something they did and gave themselves for. A thought comes in, becomes an action. I had this amazing testimony on Friday of a lady who went to the School of Supernatural in California and she went there with a mindset of, look, I'm a physiotherapist, I know medical stuff, and she said I was there and all the time I doubted that God was really healing. She said, I questioned it all. I thought, when I prayed for somebody, did you just say that your pain went from eight to two just to make me feel better? She said, I doubted it and I was overcome with just... A medical mindset. I know how medical things work. And one day God said to her, I've not called you to understand, I've called you to trust. So she's sitting in a cafe, reading a book about these women who healed people. And they would go up to people and their method was, whack the person with their Bible. (laughs) And the person would get up and walk. And she heard God say to her, do you know why they did that? It's because they believed that something would happen if they did it. Next moment, a man walks in, wheeling a woman in a wheelchair. They have coffee, they chat. She feels Holy Spirit say, go and pray for her. They walk out of the cafe. She catches just up to them and says, I'm just learning how to hear God. I think God wants me to pray for you. She says, all the weight of glory had gone. The emotional moment of conviction that God's going to do something was in the cafe, but it wasn't outside. It was just her with this lady in a wheelchair. And she said, what's happened to you? And she said, "Um, I've got this neurological disorder. And um, it's got this name. And she knew what it was. Because she's a physiotherapist and she thought in her head, there's not much hope of anything happening here. (laughs) I know what that is. So she just prayed, in Jesus' name be healed. They exchanged numbers. The lady went. She wasn't healed in the moment. The lady gets into the car. Her legs start twitching. Both of them. So she says to her husband, pull over at this car park. She gets out of the car, starts walking, texts the lady who prayed for her that evening with a video of this woman who's in the wheelchair running around the car park. (laughs) It was, a, it was a new thought. Ah, they wouldn't have done anything unless they believed God would do something. Amen. A new thought. I wanted to touch that lady. A new decision. Wow. I'm walking out of the door. And I'm going to pray for you. 
I just felt so stirred by that. Because yeah. I love the humanity and the honesty of it. Because don't we all feel like that, really? Will yeah. he do any? Will he do it? Will he do it through me? Can he do it? It looks hopeless. It looks impossible. Yeah. And I saw a guy walking along, double crutches, which kind of makes me want to pray for the guy with a foot boot. I love that. I don't know why. Cause he, cause not, and I just thought, what happened to you? He fell over. He'd broken his leg. But that story touched my mind, touched my words as I had a conversation with somebody, touched my actions. I thought, no, I'm going to ask you, can I pray? He wouldn't let me. Let, I just quickly declared something over him as quick as he could because he said it was cold and he wanted to move. That was okay because I felt that there was a moment where you think, I want it to be the everyday, ordinary thing in the marketplace, in life, every day. Wherever you see the desperation, you feel you've got the solution. So it starts with a new thought, but it must result in a new action, but it must result in a new consistent action. Now, the truth is for the lepers, we're going to see in a moment, they have a new thought, a new way of seeing, and they go to the camp, and God has actually scared all the Syrians away, and all the food is there. So it was a breakthrough moment. Often, though, it's consistent action. Every day, I'm getting up, and I'm going to have this thought. Every day, I'm going to have another perspective. Every day, I'm coming against that anxiety. Or I'm coming against that passivity. Or I'm coming against that fear of praying for the sick, of will anything happen, of stopping people. I'm going to do it every day until it becomes a habit and becomes a new thing that I do all the time. It becomes a consistent action. I've realised something I'm doing something. It's not just theological or theoretical. It's not just in my head as a nice thought. It's something I'm going to practice. It's something I'm going to do. It's like some people, you know, if you imagine a huge train on a track and there's no engine and someone thinks, right, we're going to move the train along the track and you give it a push. You give it another push and another push. And you know eventually, with enough shoves and enough pushes, that train will start to get some momentum and start to go along the track and start to move really, really slowly along. And then it begins to have momentum and maybe it starts to move a bit faster. Imagine then someone comes up to you and says, which was the push that got the train working? Which was it? You say, well it was hundreds of pushes. Hundreds of pushes. There were five of us pushing, pushing. There were thousands of pushes. I've no idea which was the push that got the train moving. I just know that every push added to the momentum. I couldn't tell you where the breakthrough moment was. It was just in the consistent pushing. And I would say that's one of the key things how you move from the tension of today into the, into the more of tomorrow is the, content, is the consistent obedience to the revelation that God's given you. Is the consistent obedience to the thing that jumped out of the Bible. You say, I pushed it today. I pushed it again. I pushed it again. I pushed it again. I don't know which was the push that got me to the place where everywhere I go I see the sick healed. And everywhere I go I'm seeing people come out of wheelchairs. I don't know which was the push. I couldn't tell you it was the man on Friday who said it was too cold. He's just one of the pushers. I can't tell you the moment we, I moved out of anxiety into an increasing measure of peace. I've just been going after peace for so long and pushing. Now it's become my mindset. It's become what I do. The interesting thing to finish with is this. Is that their action, when they didn't know anything about the prophetic promise, became the breakthrough of the whole city. 
They don't know about the promise. They don't know about the prophetic word. They don't know about the promise for tomorrow. All they know is they're making a different decision. And that brings us to the fact that it's not just about you and I's individual freedom. None of this is just, isn't just about us and our own liberty and our own destiny, our own calling. It's about something bigger than that. It's, it's, it's bigger than even the corporate body of the church. It's bigger than even this little area around here. It's bigger than SE18. It's, it's about cities and it's about nations and it's about the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a bigger thing than just you and me. And so the lepers find food. They go over to the camp of the enemy. They get the food they need. They say, we can't keep this to ourselves. We need to tell everyone. And exactly what Elisha the prophet said happened. That day, there was enough food for everyone. See, it's not just about solutions coming to us. It's about us being the miracle and the breakthrough from someone else. It's not just for us moving from I'm anxious to I've got peace. It's us then bringing peace and bringing shalom and bringing wholeness and bringing the reality of heaven to everybody we know. I'm not just getting a miracle for me through my decisions. I'm becoming a miracle for everyone I see. This is not just that I have a testimony and a story. It's now that I've got a testimony and a story that's the blessing of the whole city. For the lepers, the whole city gets fed. There's something purposeful in the discomfort it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than us there's something purposeful about saying I will learn generosity I will overcome my fear of lack I will overcome my poverty mentality I will overcome my fear of man or fear of people or people pleasing I will overcome my anxiety of will anything happen when I pray it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than us it's for a city, it's for a nation, it's for nations and so when we say I won't move on my discomfort and I won't do what makes me feel uncomfortable it's not just about our own personal comfort we are the hope of the whole world We are the hope of the whole world. We are the answer to humanity's deepest issues. We are. We are and we love government, we love society, we love social action. But only the church has the answer to the human soul and reconciliation with the Father. We are the only ones on the earth. And so when we say, well I'm too scared, I'm too timid, I'm too shy, I'm too nervous about doing anything. It's not just locked up for us. It's locked up for a community, it's locked up for a city, it's locked up for nations. That God is raising up peoples who will take him at his word and trust him. When we say, I'm unplugging that area of my life so that life flows out, we're not just about us feeling more free, although you will, we will, it's because I want to be an outflow to the world. So you don't know where... Your moment of obedience, your moment of radical trust, you don't know where your moment of surrender, where your moment of saying, I will overcome this, I will not do that, I will try this, I will step out. You have no idea where it's taking you, where it's taking us and what it will do for a city and nation and nations. You have no idea. They had no idea, these four lepers. All they knew is, today if we stay where we are, we're going to die. We're having a new thought, we're saying a new word, we're taking a new action. It just so happened that they found themselves right smack bang in the prophetic purposes of God. And how God was going to take today and bring it to tomorrow. They had no strategic understanding. 
There wasn't four guys thinking, got a promise, abundant food tomorrow. How are we going to do it? Anybody got an idea? Let's go to the camp. Maybe God will do this. They had no idea whatsoever. It was just, I'm facing the brutal facts. If we stay and do what we've always done, we're going to die. Change the seed to change the harvest. Suddenly they find themselves right in the middle of the purposes of God that they had no idea about. God was planning something off the radar that he wasn't telling anybody about. Yes, he could have rained down food. He did that in Numbers 11. Quail came out of the skies. He can do that. But that's not how he likes to work. He likes to weave it in human decision and human reasoning and human obedience and human trust and human acts of courage and risk stepping out. And then he says, wow, you're actually part of something bigger than you realise. You're part of what I'm doing in all the earth. To end, Israel besieged by a giant called Goliath, came out every day taunting the armies of God, mocking. David stands up and says, do not mock the armies of the living God. David, God's solution, had been prepared in hiddenness years before, when he had no idea that one day he would be prophesied over by Samuel to be God's anointed king had no idea that when he was shepherding a few sheep, singing to God and loving God and worshipping God and rejoicing in God and killing the lion and the bear with a slingshot, hidden from everyone, had no idea that God was weaving his prophetic purposes of how he was going to transition Israel from the tyranny of Goliath to freedom. It was all happening off radar, all hot happening somewhere else and suddenly David finds himself smack bang in the middle of God's prophetic purpose and he had no idea that God had been preparing him all all along apart from he said I've killed the lion I've killed the bear going to do the same to you your head's coming off with your own sword it's happening today where had that happened through (coughs) simple obedience steps and consistency in the hidden place suddenly he finds himself in the public space doing something he had no idea how big it was. He was just faithfully loving God, faithfully doing his job day after day, looking after the sheep, mocked by his brothers, smallest of everyone, the youngest, the most insignificant, had no idea. Suddenly he finds himself right in the middle of it. Friends, we have no idea how bigger thing we're involved in. You have no idea how significant your life is. No idea. And it will always be that tension between who I am today and where he's taking me. Get to this mountain. Wow, it's bigger. Go up to the next mountain. Wow, it's bigger. And how do you walk between the two? You just simply consistently obey. And when he says something and points something out, Maybe it's a thing of repentance. Maybe it's a thing of risk. Maybe it's a thing of changing your mind. You say, it will result in consistent action. And I'll see what God does. You have no idea. I have no idea all that God wants to do. You get little glimpses, little flavours, little ideas. But it's bigger than we know. Because he's about his glory filling the earth as the waters cover the sea.